Hi and welcome to the Kingdom Thirst Podcast. My name is Abigail Kelly and today I'm here with Adele Buck. Hi Adele. Hi. My, my, my computer fan is going and hopefully it's not too annoying. <laughs> you know, listen, this is free content. If it's not perfect, y'all ain't paying for it. So be grateful that you get what you get. That's how I feel about that. Sounds good to me. <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. It's a Sunday morning and I'm trying to, to get my, my act together for the week. And, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> well, you know, that's, I, I'm so desperately don't want to go into Monday tomorrow. So I'm just going to pretend like that's not happening today. I actually have tomorrow off, which I'm desperately grateful for. <laughs> oh man. That's, I, I, it has been it has been a time in the bookshop. What with all the uh, the insane like shipping problems we've had. So uh, at the moment, my Monday is going to entail me going into my independent bookstore and finding mm, maybe two to three dozen boxes waiting for me. Oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> and like all of its front list. So it is going to be quite something. Uh, Y'all, again, I've said it like 10 times in this podcast in the past like four or five episodes, but if you want books for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever or neither, please, please, please order your books now. Yeah, I've I've heard that all over the place. It's, it is wild. So I live in San Francisco, and when I go into work every morning, I kind of crest a hill, and I can see into the San Francisco Bay, and you Mm -hmm. can literally see the um cargo ships stuck mm-hmm. in the bay uh and they they can't they can't come in they also like there's no dock workers to unload the the like cargo containers um oh, there's yeah. not enough cargo containers in general like it right. is it is a whole mess y'all and that's not what we're talking about today but i just <laughs> again if i have the chance gonna reiterate please buy your books early and pre-order <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. Um, so to get back on to less grim topics, um, <laughs> you write the Center Stage series, correct? Yes, yes, I do. Um, and that started, I didn't realize how recently you had released the first book, which is Acting Up. That was in yep. like February, right? Uh, yeah, January or February. It's, it's been a very long year already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I, I wrote this series quite a while ago. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, that was back when I was, you know, I, was, I queried acting up, uh, and that's, mm-hmm. I got an agent from that and, um, she sent that out to New York publishers and, you know, had some nibbles, some interest and it ultimately didn't sell. And then, you know, I wrote other stuff and that went out to New York publishers and those didn't sell. And finally she, you know, she and I just, we parted on very amicable terms. She's a lovely person. I, you know, I admire the heck out of her. Um, and, uh, I said, I'm just going to try this self-publishing work because I've got all of this, these books that have mm-hmm. been critique grouped and, you know, the, a lot of people have seen them. A lot of people liked them. Uh, why not? You know? Yeah. And, and so I did. And it's, it's yeah. been interesting because <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I started it, you know, started actually putting new books out in January, late January, early February. Uh, and now I have three out uh, and the fourth one is coming out before the end of the year. So instant backlist. 
Yeah. I mean, isn't that like the the rule of thumb, right? Where it's if people always say that if you're self-publishing, you need to have like three books already done so that you can release them like toot sweet, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, it's that, that's certainly one of the one of the, the rules of thumb, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. I, there's there's so many there's so many you know quote unquote rules in self publishing, mm-hmm. and there's so, and but things change so fast yeah. uh, in that world that I'm basically have devolved to the point where I'm kind of like I'm going to do what seems to make sense to me, mm-hmm. um, regardless of you know what the quote unquote rules are. Mm-hmm. Um, with the exception that, you know, when, when Zoe York talks, I listen because she really, really knows what she's talking about. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, there are other people who are out there self-publishing who seem to be doing tremendously well. Uh, you know, Serena Bowen, for instance, another another author I admire who, who seems to, you know, she's very prolific. She's, she's very organized. She's, you know, she's just doing a, a whole heck of a lot of stuff. Uh, but she doesn't really give so, so much advice. But but Zoe, you know, Zoe is very generous with her time, and, and not to say that Serena has to be or that anybody else has to be generous with their time, yeah. helping other people out. That's absolutely not what mm-hmm. I'm saying. But um, you know, Zoe not only has a lot of experience doing this, but she also uh, seems to watch the market very very carefully, and uh, mm-hmm. and so I I've always found her to be a very very helpful person um, in that in that world. Yeah, I mean, there are so many people out there who are, like you said, very generous with their time in in like helping coach this like wave of self-published authors that we've had, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. And because I've said on the podcast before, I'll say it again, this is maybe the worst time in history to be trying to get published. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like no one's taking new clients. Publishers are giving less and less to, to authors. Marketing is in the toilet. Uh, book production is in the toilet. Like it is, it is the worst possible time to be trying to get published. It is awful. And so, yet, so the, many. And yet, the publishers are 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 saying that their that their sales are through the roof. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I can attest. I can personally attest. My bookstore has had double the amount of sales almost every single day to last year and the year before. That's just amazing. Right? Yeah. And it is so it is egregious that this is the state of things that like, especially because if you're not if you're not in the know, publishers now are also mostly breaking up advances to be four different payments, which is like if you're paid, let's say ten thousand dollars for a book and that book is that payment is split up over four pieces over the course of a year. Some of it coming out after publication when you're not even guaranteed you're ever going to make royalties because you actually have to pay that money back, essentially, through royalties to your publisher. Like. It is, it is bad out there. (laughs) Um, So the, the wave of self-publishing and indie publishing that we've seen has had so much to do with that. Also the fact that, you know, a lot of people are home and, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It has been not quite a renaissance, I would say, because I think the self-publishing has always kind of been on this trajectory. It's always kind of ramping up, but at the same time, it like hit supernova. (laughs) Mm-hmm. during 2019 2020 um and now we're seeing like this this gorgeous flowering of so many wonderful books that otherwise would have just languished because people thought that they needed to get uh you know an agent or a new york publisher or whatever to to actually like put their book out in the world otherwise they just leave them in the drawer but like i'm yeah. so happy to hear that like 
you felt that you had these wonderful books that you were like, well, why not? Right. Because I personally like I loved your book. So I was like, I was like I'm so I'm so glad that like, <laughs> that it didn't happen, that you didn't put it in a drawer. It's like one of those famous like 10 manuscripts that you never like see the light of day. Oh, um, yeah. Well, there's there's at least one of those. Uh, trust me. I think <laughs> everyone should have one or two because you probably weren't great at writing in the beginning. Right. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I, it's it's less it's less uh, the the writing style, I think, in terms of of that, and and more how to plot a book or, or yes. how and how to you know one of the thing, things that that my first manuscript that I ever did, which was basically a modern persuasion uh, mm-hmm. take, uh, which is my favorite Jane Austen, so I was sort of like, hey, shoot shoot the moon right from the start. Yeah. Um, the pacing in that particular manuscript is terrible. It's, you know, objectively horrible. Um, and, but, you know, I learned so much writing that book and trying to rewrite it and then finally crying and trunking it and, you know, moving on. Um, yeah. So, you know, you know, people will say, and sometimes, you know, I can be, I can be something of a cynic, surprise, surprise. Um, so people will often say things like, you know, even if you trunk it, it's not wasted. Um, and you know, if, if you're if you're if you're having a bad day, uh, writing wise, that can feel awfully pandery. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is actually true, I think, that it, especially if you are not just flinging yourself at writing, but you're actually being conscious and deliberate about what you, what you're trying to write, how you know what you're trying to say. Um, all of that stuff. I I like to say that I went to college for writing bad books. <laughs> and and I think I think you have you have to have you have to have bad books in your arsenal to learn what a good book is. Mm-hmm. Um and I think with every pass you 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 learn how to write better a little usually it's like when you start out it's like big leaps, right? It's, right. You know, you learn in huge leaps and bounds and then over time it becomes more refined. But mm-hmm. you're you are learning with every single manuscript you write. Um and it's it, it's been a very interesting sort of exercise in self-reflection to look back at like my journey with writing alongside everybody else's and be like, okay, yeah, broadly we all kind of had the same. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's funny because there's a reason why acting up and and subsequent books are basically sort of mostly long category length. Mm-hmm. And that was because I knew I had a pacing problem. Yeah. And and I said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to consciously limit the length of my scenes and I'm going to try to. And, and that, you know, propelled the book forward much faster. Yeah, um, I can see that. That is something I noticed, actually. When I was reading Acting Up, I was like, she really has broken these scenes into into little bite-sized bits, mm-hmm. um, especially when you, you break a scene several times into um, several different sections where you flip back and forth between their uh, perspectives in like in like real time. Like it'll go from mm-hmm. one sentence to another. And I found that really like very snappy because mm-hmm. um, it's easy to, I think, do that wrong. But it, <laughs> it, in, in your books, I felt very much like, oh, yeah, this feels like I'm I'm moving very quickly through this. Like what I mean, really, the book takes place at least most of it it takes place over the course of like two weeks really right mostly like, yeah yeah it's yeah. It's, it's, it's probably closer to three but yeah the other, the other thing I did with that is I um I'm very much a I'm pr- pretty much a, a pantser type of writer I don't yeah. I don't usually work from outlines 
Um, I I have you know the the late great Sir Terry Pratchett um, had a, a method of describing it. He called it um, the journey through it's like a journey through mountains where it's cloudy and you can, you're at the top of one mountain and you can see the top of the next mountain, but you have to go down into the clouds in order to figure out how you get there there, to the the next top. So you have this sort of broad idea of major beats in the, in the Mm -hmm. book, but then that all the middle is sort of discovery. And I I really enjoy that personally. I I enjoy that moment when, you know, my, my, my book surprises me. My brother is really funny because I said something like, yeah, these characters are just all over the place. He's like, you made them up. They're, you know, like, you, you have yep. control. I'm like, you'd think, you would really you'd, think, but you'd somehow, think that. but somehow that's not the case. And so, you know, what I, what I started with, um, I used to be an actor and I, and a stage manager and, um, you know, I've, I've read so many books set in the entertainment industry where I kind of go, I all right, I've, I've never seen that happen. <laughs> um, you know, in, in terms of how you know how you put a play together, or, you know what mm-hmm. what how, what the process looks like. And I was like, well, I'm just you know start the book in the audition room and end it on opening night. Uh, and that in and of itself gave me kind of a, a that those mountains, and yeah. and, you mm-hmm. know, and then it was just a matter of sort of figuring out. Um, what was underneath all those clouds? So I'm really curious. Um, I, I always ask a, a question of any new guest who comes on the podcast, mm-hmm. but I and I'm going to ask that of you as well. However, I, I am also so terribly curious about why you decided to set a romance novel in the acting and theater world. But first, uh, first, I need to ask, how do you feel about romance novels? I love them. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, yeah. Does anybody say anything else on this podcast? Well, I think I think it's a surprisingly uh, layered question because I feel like a lot of people have a complicated history with romance novels, even those of us that write them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us have a sort of I, I call it the romance denial period, where we begin our our romance lives, kind of going like, "Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't read romance novels. I read fantasy books that." Okay, yes, they kiss in it, but it's not like it's not like the main it's not like the main thing, I swear. Uh, yeah. and then we sort of graduate up or we, you know, unabashedly loved romance novels from the start, but I think how we feel about them is reflected very much in our history and experience with them. Yeah, I well I, I actually did have a kind of an interesting arc with them. Um, you know, I my first real exposure to, to adult romance novels I was probably about 12 years old and we used to Mm -hmm. go my mother and I used to go and visit my grandmother in Indiana uh, for a good week in July Um, and I'm here to tell you that there's not a lot to do in Indiana in July and it's hot Uh, and my uh, grandmother had a nice cool basement and she had a stack of old good housekeeping magazines why does this what what does this have to do with romance novels well back in the 80s they basically had a category romance novel on rough colored paper in the middle of each one of those and i went i i was a voracious reader from the time i could read and so i just tore through those because i you know was out of reading material or something 
That's fascinating. Yeah, I know, right? And it's it's so funny because it's such as there's it's I, I I barely remember any of the actual books themselves. I remember the process of you know of reading them. You know, sort of mm-hmm. curled up in the in the cool basement on the you know the, on the on, she had a little day bed down there, and um, and I was almost convinced I almost convinced myself at one point that I must have imagined it because I mentioned this to a few other people who are, are my age who like remember being a, a kid or a teenager in the 80s and um I put it out on Twitter and somebody else was like I, and I said I, I wasn't even sure if it was good housekeeping or if it was a different women's magazine and somebody else was like no absolutely that was a thing it was good housekeeping and I remember it too I'm like okay thank you I did not hallucinate this experience it's not like a Berenstein Berenstein bear situation where you just like completely made it up right yeah exactly and um so so that was like my first experience with them and then you know absolutely I, did, I went through a period where I was you know very snobby about what I what I read and and all of that my mother forever um, was, you know, bless her heart. She's she, one of the things that she has learned about me is that I have a very specific kind of ornery. And if somebody says to me, especially when my mother, my mother, who I love, and she's, you know, wonderful. And, and if, if she, she's learned to recommend things to me by saying, okay, there's this book, you'd hate it. <laughs> because if she says, you have to read this, my immediate mental oh, response no, no, is, no, 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 no. is oh, no, I don't. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? How dare? Yeah, she she'd also she would um when she visits, she'll usually leave a couple of paperbacks behind because she knows that if she just leaves them there, I will end up picking them up eventually in my own time. Um but she so sneaky. For, for years told me to read Georgette Hare. And I was like, no. <laughs> and um it was I was 26 I would have been and I um, was going to visit a friend in Maine and through a confluence of stuff um, he ended up not being home and I I knew I knew that he was not going to be home and you know I knew I, I knew if I if I waited you know he and his family would come back from whatever they were doing and I was wandering around in this smallish town in Maine and I found a bookstore that had a used books book section and um, in the used book section was a civil contract by Georgette Hare. And um, I thought, okay, fine, universe, fine. And I went and I, I curled up. Uh, it was it was chill. It was a chilly time of year, but he had one of those gardens. It's I hear that this is a thing in Cornwall um, where the the, the, the the sun exposure is just right and they have a nice stone wall and I was like sitting up against the stone wall and even though it was, it was cold, you know, generally speaking, I was kind of cozy and I, mm-hmm. I, and I started reading that book and I was like, okay, fine, mother, fine. Yes, I do like this, fine. <laughs> um, and that was probably the, but it was, that was probably the only hair I read for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I was, um, I was again at the used bookstore I was going to go on vacation with my mother. I stopped by this used bookstore that I had walked past in my neighborhood in Arlington, Virginia, dozens of times, you know, hundreds of times. And I finally stopped in and I found a bunch of hairs on the shelf and they were cheap as old chips. And I bring them down to the, to the, to the cashier. It's like, it's it's an old Victorian house that has been turned into this bookstore. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a mess. It's like things are everywhere, but this guy clearly knew his inventory because he said, Oh, he says, I have got a bunch of more of these downstairs. You, you want me to bring them up? And I said, sure. 
And so I basically left that bookstore with a big grocery bag full of Georgette hair for probably about five bucks. And and again, that happened to be, again in Maine, mom and I went, excuse me, and had a lovely vacation in Mount Desert Island. And I just ripped through them. Yeah. Um, and and so I had this funny sort of off and on. But yeah, I, cer- I certainly went through that period where, um, you know, I was kind of disdainful. And I, 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 I now call it the everybody knows phenomenon. You know, everybody knows they're trashy. Everybody knows it's Fabio covers. Everybody knows, uh, you know, Harlequin is a, is a punchline, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, yeah, I, I unlearned it <laughs> eventually. Um, yeah. but yeah, I remember when I first, I, when I first had, you know, my agent and, um, I was talking with my then boss. And he said something like, oh, you know, just as long as you're not published by Harlequin. And I, I looked at him and I said, why would I not want to be published by possibly the most prolific publisher in my genre? That's infuriating. <laughs> that yeah. makes me so angry. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and he was one of those everybody knows. It's, you know, his, yeah. his, his, his mom's books, Fabia, blah, 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 blah. You know, whatever. I, 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 don't, I don't generally get mad at it anymore just because... It's too exhausting to get mad about it, but it's, yeah. And, and what's funny is I, I have learned, you know, I went to, I went to a private um, boarding school for high school and um, you'd think that, you know, that crowd would be super snobby. And, you know, what's funny is that, you know, I went to my, when I went to my last reunion a bunch of years ago, people asked me, you know, get, getting caught up in, in this, that, and the other thing. And I, 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 intentionally just said very very sort of proudly and you know not apologizing not shrinking not anything yeah i've been writing romance novels and i got zero flack from anybody and in fact i learned that one of my classmates was a lawyer who was representing um some some of the authors from uh i think it was i think it was the allora's cave lawsuit oh and i was like Seriously, Carlos, that is so cool. <laughs> Let's dish, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah, like you couldn't dish because you know. Yeah. Because uh, conf- lawyer uh, confidentiality. Um, yeah. But but yeah, it was really kind of. It was, so I've learned that if I if I just sort of very matter of factly say it and and not and and I don't sort of implicitly apologize with my demeanor or whatever, people roll with it mostly. Yeah. I, I've experienced mostly the same thing. Um, my, the, <laughs> I am, I've been known for a very long time in my bookshop with amongst my, my, uh, fellow uh, booksellers that I tolerate no flack towards mm-hmm. romance. Um, there was a time when I first started working at, uh, the bookstore, one of my dear, dear friends and manager, Kat, uh, she, we've, we've talked about this on the podcast, so. Not bad mouthing her, um, except I would if she was listening. Uh, but she, uh, she, she at one point uh, was selling a, a a I think it was some sort of YA uh, to this teenage girl, and um, we were both at the counter together. I was ringing somebody else up, and she goes, "Oh, I'm glad you like picked this one. I mean, it's got like a lot of romance in it, but the rest is really good." Oh. And I like my turn towards her so fast, my neck cracked. I was like, "You, excuse me." 
So, cool. so, so that you, your, your manager who said it was bad mouthing the romance of, in this book. And she just, she made it, it was wild to me because she made it sound. This is a woman cat who, who loves herself. Some the, she is on the like Katie Roberts end of the romance spectrum. She likes it nasty. She likes uh, it hardcore. <laughs> she likes it hardcore and i and i love that for her it's, i'm a little bit less i like a sort of like middling heat zone um but like i you know it was it, i couldn't understand why she of all people would be like i don't know shame sort of lightly this like teenage girl for picking a book that that had a romance heavy plot i was like what you can't do that i i remember I remember what it was like to have people shame me for reading romance at that age. Don't do that. Don't do that. And she she had no explanation. And I and I think and that's not to say that, you know, Kat is in any way like like I, I don't hold it against her. I hold it against all the people who ingrain that in us. Right. That there's something we need to defend or equivocate about liking romance. Right. Um, there's this idea that like if you like it, you sh- you need to qualify it with like, well, I just I just like beach reads or I just like light stuff. I like trash. Ooh, that just oh it makes. I'm just like no, just just say that you like it and be okay with that. It's okay. I promise. I promise. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, I it's it, it it is aggravating. Um, and it is very ingrained. And there's bunches of reasons for it. Most of them beginning with patriarch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But, you know, some of it is also just some of it is also what I call the misery equals quality theory of literature. Oh, God. Yeah. And, you know, basically, if if the characters are not suffering, then it is no good. And I just sorry, I don't buy it. You no. Know? No, you you can trust me. Joy is possible. <laughs> People can be happy, and if they can't yeah. be happy in a world that we make up ourselves, then what are we doing? Yeah, it, it is always interesting to see what people decide to replicate from reality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was I was actually listening to the book they um, it, it was. They were very popular a while ago. That the, the uh, Natural History of Dragons, I think. It is. Yes, yes. And I, I actually, I just couldn't get into it because I was like, you know, if you're going to create a fantasy world, and you're going to consciously recreate colonialism and misogyny that is yeah. baked into your culture, yeah, why? <laughs> It's a it's a good question. I also read that. I read A Natural History of Dragons, and I I listened to the audiobook actually. Which I did was too a, because was, it's because it's Kate Redding, right? and she is the queen. <laughs> a whole experience, a yeah. whole experience listening to that audiobook, and it, I think it really there's a level of separation. I think that I might have been able to at least un, like grasp it better if I had just been reading it, mm-hmm. but hearing it in this like 
very posh British voice. It was absolutely impossible to escape that I was like, okay, so we're just talking about the the British aristocracy. Basically, yes. That's just it. Yeah. I don't care about that. I love the idea of this, Mm -hmm. but I can't get on board with this. Yeah. I actually actually never finished the book because I was was just starting to get angry. Um, And, you know, I've I've met Kate Redding. She is a absolutely delightful human being such Mm -hmm. such a sweetheart and her husband michael is also just wonderful 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 um and and she she elevates everything that she reads but there are certain things that i just won't go there for anybody yeah yeah like i can i can respect the performance but not Mm -hmm. the lines you know Mm -hmm. like yeah and and of course it's She's not responsible for that. She's not no. responsible for the content. No. She's just, you know, narrating the, the the narrating it. So, but uh, so speaking of lines, though, yeah, I think we should talk about your books because sure, <laughs> I have like I had such a moment when I was reading your book. So I read um, Acting Up and I just started uh, Acting Lessons, mm-hmm. um, which is the second book. And I cannot wait to get to Beth at Acting. I am <laughs> so excited. I was, I like read the blurb and I was like, okay, okay I'm going to read these in order. But oh my God, I want to read that book. Well, Method uh, Acting is the second book. Oh, is Method Acting the second book? I thought mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, then I then I got it wrong. Then I that's cool. I'll just jump to that, Beth. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I and the, the <laughs> so I wrote acting up. You know, it's it's about it's it's basically it is a very very loose spin on Lady Susan Austin's Lady Susan, mm-hmm. and I think one reviewer got this, <laughs> which was very exciting because it's it's and it also if you've ever seen there's a Canadian. Um, workplace comedy set in a which is essentially a lightly fictionalized um stratford shakespeare festival uh called oh. slings and arrows and it um it is it, it is, and the star of it is is paul paul gross um wonderful beautiful canadian actor who is also in due south you might might yeah. have seen that uh and so that's that's why Paul is called Paul because I was sort of riffing off of Lady Susan, but Mannering, Manwaring, however you pronounce it, British pronounce it Mannering, um, never ha- has a first name. So I had to make one up, and so because I was huh. basing Paul's character on the character of Jeffrey, played by Paul Gross, I was just like, okay, he's going to be Paul. Um, so anyway, so that. That book and that and that the reason why there is a correspondence between Susan, an email correspondence between Susan and her her actress frenemy Alicia, is because Lady Susan is an epistolary novel, and so that was basically oh. initially conceived as just sort of a nod back to the source material, and so when I was writing that book, uh, I have a I I was very involved with the Miss Fisher Mysteries fandom. And um, we had, still have, still going, a Slack instance where uh, I would almost, I would almost sort of perform my books as I was writing them. I, you know, I'd, I'd finish a scene and, you know, before I even edited it, I'd just upload it to Slack and people would be like, oh, new snippet, new snippet. And they, you know, they go and read and chat about it. And so I finished the book um, and, you know, you know, you know, kind of a, a Oftentimes when I get to the end of a book, it's like, you know, I'll be chugging away, you know, maybe a thousand words a day or whatever, whatever. And then all of a sudden the, the, the end is in sight and I will 
pump out 5,000 words and then feel like I have the flu. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get that, you get that end of book hangover. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And so I went and I finished, I finished the, the first draft and I went, took a nap and then went, woke up, went, you know, picked up my laptop, got back into the Slack instance. And my friend Rosemary said, I think Alicia is up to something. And I had always initially conceived that Freddie and James, who sort of start having their love story in the background of yes. acting up, that was they were going to be book two. Of course, they yeah. were going to be book two. And all of a sudden, it was like, no, I've got to figure out what Alicia was doing down in Washington, D.C. Um, at the Folger. Um, because I, I was like, you know, I had her, you know, an actress in her middle 30s playing the nurse in Romeo and Juliet, which is actually age appropriate. Um, casting for that role because it's very clear in the text of Romeo and Juliet that the nurse is was a wet nurse. Mm. So, you know, when they're always casting these 60-year-old actresses, it's like, how was how? <laughs> how was she yeah. lactating at 50? You know, like make it make sense. Um, sus. Yeah. Um, so so I was like, I I started writing Alicia's story. And, you know, and she, that one was just that writing that book just took me on a ride because I was, she was a bit of a cipher to me, even myself in the beginning, because actually in, in the first draft of acting up her, e her emails back to Susan, she was something of a cipher. I hadn't even really thought much about her. She's a little aloof. I was like mm -hmm. trying to get a read on her because I was like, I, f I have a feeling that we're going to get this. I read acting up before I'd even like looked at like what the next books were. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at it and I was like, I was I was reading her emails and I was like, I don't I can't tell if she knows that Susan, who is the antagonist in the book and the person she's corresponding with, if she knows that she's a horrible human being or if like because we get these snippets of little insights where she's like, huh, I don't think. I don't I don't think you're correct there, Susan, but you know what? You probably know what's going on. I could never, you know, you're you're so talented and beautiful and wonderful. I'm sure things are I, just as you say out there. And I'm like, are you are you being I can't She's tell. She's a hundred percent messing with her. Oh, she, God, I love that. I is, love that. She knows Susan better than a lot of other people because they're all they're always up for the same roles. And, you know, they they. They've had they've had this kind of frenemy, you know, kind of hold your friends close and your enemies closer kind of relationship for yeah. years now, and she she is one of the people on the planet who one hundred percent knows that Susan is an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. And so, and 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 I'm not really spoiling anything because it's pretty much in the very beginning of method acting. You know, she gets yet another email from Susan. And she's just like whatever <laughs> whatever man <clears throat> yeah do 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 whatever yeah what yeah sure yeah because you know at the end of acting up paul makes it plain that you know the, the show's getting a new york run and susan's not going to be staying with the cast because he's had it with her and yeah. and you know susan sort of spins this to alicia as oh i'm moving on i'm going to be doing something different and yada yada uh -huh. yada and alicia's like sure you are <laughs> mm -hmm. Have fun with that, buddy. Have fun mm -hmm. with that. I'm sure you'll do great. Yeah, exactly. So oh, um, that's so cool. I I I am so interested in. I want to hear why you decided to set these books in like such a 
<laughs> like I, I, I know why intellectually why you decided to do the theater because like of course the theater is like everyone's sleeping with each other. It's so sloppy. <laughs> it's like close quarters, high drama. But at the same time, I feel like we don't get a lot of these books. So I'm really interested in why you decided to do like a whole series based on the theater. Couple reasons. One is a world I knew, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and I knew it very well from the inside. I was an actress from the age of 10 to about 21. <clears throat> and like I said, a lot of, a lot of people write books about actors and they, they'll, it's, it's, it's kind of very uncanny Valley. It's like, okay, this sort of looks like what a rehearsal looks like, except that it doesn't really look like that. Um, and so, but, you know, you mentioned that there's not a lot of books set in this world. Well, funnily enough, about 50% of the publishers that we took acting up out to said theater books don't sell. Okay. And I, and I okay. wanted to say, have you met Lucy Parker? <laughs> or like any, I, it's, it's so wild to me because I, the more I was thinking about this, the more I was like, I... A, I could absolutely tell that you knew what you were talking about. I was also in the theater. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> interesting Abigail anecdote. I was I went to acting school for a while, mm-hmm. and I had the same acting coach as Taylor Lautner. <laughs> I I don't I don't know what that means other than what it is. Sorry. Um, and then uh, I I went to art school for illustration, but like a quarter of the students in my art school were theater slash MPT kids, uh, which is motion pictures and television. Mm-hmm. And the the <laughs> school wide, except for in MPT and theater, uh, school wide, the motto was uh, amongst all the freshmen, all of the upper level students would say, "Never date an actor." <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i can um, see that yeah i mean i my own personal experiment experiences can't attest don't do it but i i was i when i was reading it not only could i could i really understand that like okay you know how blocking works you know how setting up the the set goes you know how this is you know how like finicky the people who are setting up the lighting goes lighting text and all this stuff <laughs> um like all of it and and i was so tickled by that and i know so many people who love romance were themselves in theater yeah. so this idea that like we're getting a faithful representation that's not cringy in the extreme um that people wouldn't want to read that. Like, I find that so baffling. I just... Well, the, it's the not other, all movie stars. The, all yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to uh, wanted to show, specifically in Acting Up, was I wanted to write a theater romance that didn't star actors. Where the two yeah. main characters were not actors. Of course, <clears throat> the rest of them are all at least one of the at least one of the couple is is actually only one 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 side of the couple is an actor in the subsequent books but i had you know i i i wanted to show that behind the scenes thing because there's so many people who work in the industry who are not actors mm-hmm. and it, you know it sounds self-evident when you say it it's like of course there's other you know and and that's one of the things I made I made Susan into a bit of a caricature because she's very dismissive of everything that isn't acting um mm-hmm. and you know it, you really can't be a professional actor and not have some acknowledgement for the rest of the trades you just it's 
you have to be a monster. Well, Susan's a monster anyway. Um, sure. <laughs> but, you know, having Kath and Paul be respectively a stage manager and a director and to be able to show that kind of behind the scenes, nuts and bolts, this is how the sausage gets made underneath their love story. I, mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted that because I had not seen that in 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 books before either. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the rest of the books. So method acting gets a little bit into the craft of acting because Alicia is very serious about it. Um, and then in acting lessons, James is, you know, he's an actor and he's actually getting his big break in a television show. Uh, and then in the last one, um, fast acting, the reason for that title, that, that book will come out like late November, early December. I haven't quite put the calendar, you know, date down. Um, but in the background of method acting, there's, um, the two best friends basically of the two leads, Russell on Colin's side and Kathleen, who's playing Lady Capulet or Lady Montague, I can I always get them mixed up. Um, mm-hmm. And you know she's sharing a dressing room with Alicia, and uh, and and both of the both these people, Russell and Kathleen, don't meet in method acting, but they're both kind of like, hmm, do they have a friend? <laughs> and so, fast acting is the wedding of Colin and Alicia, destination wedding on Maryland's eastern shore where you know everybody gets thrown together and these two finally meet um and you know fast acting it's a long weekend it's weddings make people horny it's you know <laughs> oh my god you're doing a destination wedding meet cute and i'm like so here for it i yep. love that trope i yep. love it and i just got my edits back from my editor a couple of days ago so i need to dive into that and get that finished off that my cover designer is 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 working on the concepts for the cover uh, and the other thing that that it it has is it this 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 wasn't intentionally a nod to Julia Quinn, but it does have an epic croquet match battle. Um, oh. <clears throat> so yeah, some people are probably going to be like, "Oh, sh- shades of Julia Quinn." No, not really. I'm not even sure if I had read Julia Quinn when I wrote that book, but yeah. Um, huh. No, I had, I had, but yeah, I wasn't thinking about that at the time. Well, you know, I mean, other people played croquet. Yes. Right? I mean, not many, I imagine, but well, my fa- my family uh, played very, very cutthroat croquet when I was growing up, oh, and so me and my cousins and my aunts and uncles and you know my parents, um, you know, somebody was going to end up in Grandma's rhodos bushes trying to, to to get their ball back. It was just going to happen. Oh, um, uh, we did wiffle ball. Okay, we were not. <laughs> my family was not athletic in that kind of, you know, bat and ball kind of way. We were much more sort of New England waspy, you know, stand around with a gin and tonic and <clears throat> whack a cro- cro- croquet ball. Um, I can respect that. I, yeah. I would have probably preferred that to wiffle ball. I also wasn't very coordinated. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I was not not good at bat and ball sports at all. So, yeah. But, um, 
So that is, I, I'm so excited for that, for, for fast acting now. That sounds like so much fun. Um, I, I have so much more reading to do. I'm, I'm very excited that I now get to skip to acting. Because <laughs> um, I was like, I was like, okay, like, I, I really want to see James and Freddie because, like, they were very cute. And I'm really happy that they're going to get their happy ending. And, like, that's very fun. And I want Freddie to, like, be her best self and, like, feel confident in who she is and whatever. And, like, yes, all of that. But also, I am desperate to get like a dc theater romance with like a like a fixer like a i don't even know what he is yet but i i i'm so excited uh what he is is he's a lobbyist and oh because i was like how do i and then i was i was like first of all how do i get so see they they meet at a uh she's at the folder they're you know they're doing some sort of benefit for Mm -hmm. um you know a a party where and you know when i was an actor you, you you know, they, they kind of, there's these, these various parties where you basically, it's sort of, you get, you, the rich people get access to the act, the actors, to you know, yeah. the players, that kind of thing. So it was yeah. one of those things I was like, well, <clears throat> what kind of, you know, what kind of, you know, person will have, would have a lot of money? A lobbyist. Oh, darn. Yuck. Ugh. Okay. And then I was like, well, what if I made him like, kind of like, um, like what's her what's her name in the in the American president, you know, a lobbyist for good stuff. So I made him a STEM education lobbyist. Okay. 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 I mean, that's that's better. It's mm-hmm. I mean, it's better than like big pharma or like Ugh, yeah, weapons. No. Yeah, no. You no. know? Or I, oil. Yeah, yeah. Now I want I, I definitely wanted to 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 make him be a, a good guy. Um he's a bit privileged and he's a bit like clueless about some things and he mm. he learns <laughs> but uh but yeah that's that was where i wanted to go with that but yeah i mean just 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 the, you know my husband and i have season tickets to the folder and um so we've been going for years and we see a lot of the same actors i mean it's very clear that if you are really good and you've you know you've got you've had some lucky breaks you can actually be a working actor in this town and you know make a living and you know raise your kids and you know, do, do your stuff. Um, yeah. And not, yeah, not everybody has to be a star in order to work in that world. No. And there's a lot more to it than Hollywood. There's a lot more yeah. to it culturally. I think if you are not somebody who was in theater as like a, a high school, if you weren't in the drama club, as a <laughs> I, I just want to say anecdotally also, I don't often get to talk about my drama history, mm-hmm. but I did play Weezer in Steel Magnolias in my junior year. <laughs> and um, you will you will enjoy this. We had... Um, we had almost no crew, so we, the actors, all, we, like, made, we, we did the whole set pretty much ourselves. Like, we had a carpenter who, like, did the major stuff, but we did everything else our, ourselves. We had, like, a working salon on the stage. Oh, dear. Um, with, like, running water and everything. <laughs> um, it was it was bananas. But the problem was, because we were doing all of the set ourselves, we didn't have time for an actual dress rehearsal. <laughs> so... So I, I, by the time we get to opening night, um, you know, we, there's like, I, I forget how many like s- scenes I had to change for, but there's, there's quite a few. Cause it's a, it's like a year that passes in, in the play. Right, right? Yeah. Um, and I, <laughs> we had never done, we'd never done an actual dress rehearsal with actual quick changes. So I'd never done a quick change before. So there's at one point I had to do only one true quick change and I had to do it behind the scenes 
in the absolute dark. And I didn't know how much time I had. So I just kind of threw on my clothes. And I'm wearing like 1980s old lady clothes. So there are clasps. There are zippers. There are buttons. um, None of which got done up oh dear <laughs> and so it was the final it was the it was the last scene of the play it was the most emotional moment it was oh, the climax yeah. <clears throat> and at one point i forget who the character is but um weezer's best friend like shakes her mm-hmm. uh as like a as like a joke basically um and <laughs> so my friend grabs me by the shoulders shakes me really hard and my clothing starts to fall off (laughs) (laughs) and like like i mean pants sliding down my legs because i'm also wearing nylons underneath right uh so like it's it's a slip and slide down there i like like shirts coming off like it's it's a whole mess and so i just kind of sit down on the stage <laughs> to keep my pants on because what can I do? Um, uh, and I I will never forget. We finally finish. I'm like, as the people are like, uh, the other characters are moving around the stage. I'm like, surreptitiously like trying to like do up my pants and everything. And then um, we finish the play. And afterwards, of course, the director is like, okay, I have notes. First of all, Weezer, what happened? And I was like, <laughs> I just want to say, just so you know, before you say anything about my performance. All of my clothes were coming off. Um, and he was like, okay, noted. Moving on. <laughs> Live theater, man. Live theater. Uh, you can't replicate it. You can't. There's, there's no. You, 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 you don't get that richness, that experience from, from movies and television. Y- Come yeah. on. We, I, uh, <clears throat> I did. Uh, I was kind of a. One summer, I worked in a summer stock theater as I was, they, they had a, the main stage productions and then they had a traveling children's theater. Um, mm-hmm. And I was the assistant stage manager for the, tra- for the traveling children's theater, but I was also sort of like, we need odd person here to do this, that, or the other thing. And one of the, so I spent, I think, like a week doing follow spot, oper- being a follow spot operator for the Pirates of Penzance. And mm-hmm. We had absolutely the most wonderful laid back um, stage manager ever. And we're all on, and it, it was kind of late in the run. So you kind of feel like you know what's going on and you've, you know, you're not like constantly focused. And so mm-hmm. the follow spot operators start chattering over the headset, which is absolutely a thing that you should not be doing. And we're just talking about nothing. And the lovely calm stage manager just absolutely ripped us a new one. <laughs> it's just, it's just which is this right? And we all kind of went. <clears throat> and then out of the silence, as you know, something was going on on stage and we didn't have anything to do for a while. All of a sudden we hear from his mic. With cat like twad upon up away we steal. This <laughs> 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 is kind of like this weird little apology almost. From the stage manager for for, for for reaming us out for chatting on the, the headsets. Oh yeah. Oh just, man. You can't make it up. It's just you wild. can't. And that's why it's necessary for people who actually were in theater to be writing these romances set in the theater <laughs> yeah. because you can't you can't make that up. Like like yep. you were saying earlier, it's a really it's really easy to get that uncanny valley feeling from mm-hmm. people who just like think they know what the theater is, even right. though they like 
don't actually no it's like getting absolutely screamed at by by a stage manager it's like sleepless nights where like you you uh take a nap in the theater chairs oh Uh, my god yeah. Making out in the dressing room. It's mm-hmm. like stumbling across somebody naked backstage. Mm-hmm. Like Yeah, we when in that particular theater too, we we did a, we had a 24-hour changeover period between shows where basically, you know, we were up until four in the morning, you know, hanging lights and yep. and, and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it that that the particular theater didn't have a catwalk. So we had two big scaffolds and two A-frame ladders uh, on wheels. And I am legitimately terrified of heights. So I was like, mm-hmm. I will be on the ground pushing these things around. And then I, you know, over, over time, I, you know, I started like, if somebody dropped a, a piece of the, the lighting design, which was on foam core, and would come fluttering down inevitably. I started to like saying to myself, I'm going to try to train myself out of this. And, and I would, you know, Put the thing between my teeth. I scramble up this the scaffold or the, the ladder or whatever. Give it back, you know. Scramble back down, and then one night, I'm watching. You know, where we are, we're all moving stuff around, and the, one of those scaffolds hit a divot in the stage, and it went down, and it took out one of oh. the A-frame ladders, and so. The, the 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 um head lighting technician actually managed to like wrap his arms around a pipe as it went down because he was on the he was on the scaffold another another dude went all the way to the ground only sprained his wrist i mean these things were really tall okay and and I, you know, the, the, the guy on the A-frame was also fine as well. And so I, I was like pushing my scaffold over to the, 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 the head lighting tech to, you know, so he could get down. Yeah, rescue him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, 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 I, and from then on, I was like, you know what, this fear of heights thing is, is totally legit. <laughs> yeah, this I is... think there's good reason, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't think we're supposed to be up there. There's no, a, no. Humans feet on ground. No, thank yeah. you. Yeah. And then, you know, a few years later, I'm uh, in, I'm in theater school. I went to Syracuse University for theater and we had to take, you know, act, all actors had to take classes on um, set design and, and or not design, but but creation, set and costume creation, yeah. that kind of thing. And I was up on the Syracuse, sta- Syracuse University uh, main stage on the, the catwalk and had had to outrig a light which was very very heavy and i had with me a, a freshman uh and I, I think i was a sophomore at the time and you know i was sweating buckets even though i was on a fairly safe catwalk with railings and all that kind of stuff but you know my doesn't matter my uh, my amygdala is going no 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 you're gonna die <laughs> yeah and so i uh, but i also kind of felt like i had to be brave for this other student because she was younger and she was clearly freaking out <laughs> And so yeah. we, we got the light hung and we get, we get down and she's like, she's like, wow, you are just cool as a cucumber. I said, well, I've got you fooled then. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so like, I, yeah, it's nothing to me at all. And then no. like you're turned away and you're like breathing into a paper bag. No, I, 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 I confess that I was legitimately <laughs> terrified up there. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I, I, I don't 
consciously I'm not scared of heights, but my my body is scared of heights. Like uh-huh. I do that thing where like I'm mentally I'm fine, but the moment my body sees a height or like a like a railing or anything like that, I, everything in me locks and I cannot move. Yeah, my husband has zero fear of heights, and um, we were we had some painting done recently, and he had to go. We've got we've got a townhouse that the, the foyer of which is basically two stories tall. And we've got some Y windows that had to be mm-hmm. shut because the painters had left them open a little bit to dry. So he's up on a, he's, he's up on a ladder and I, I'm like, I'm holding the ladder for him. And I've learned that this is actually a thing. When I get really afraid of falling, the soles of my feet prickle. And apparently this oh. is something called mirror neurons that, you know, basically my neurons are reproducing the feeling of what it's like to slip. And, and oh, helpful, helpful body. Thank right? you. Yeah. Right? And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm there, I'm pulling the ladder and I got eyes tight shut. I'm like, let me know when you're going to come down. And, and of course the, the, these are old windows and they're sticking and he's cursing and mm-hmm. he's got, can't get, you know, can't get the windows up. And, and I'm just like, please, please, please let it work. Please let it work. Please let it work. Just come down. Don't, don't fall. Don't fall. <laughs> please love you so much. This is the worst thing ever. Please, please, please. That's exactly. I, I can't even, I can't even watch him on a ladder. So that, that tells oh. you how, exactly how afraid of heights I am. Um, very. God, I'm like, I'm scared of heights talking about it right now. Like I'm thinking about it and I'm not, I don't like it. So you know what? We're going to close out this podcast because I'm going to pretend like I, I, we didn't have this part of the conversation. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) All right, Adele. Um, what are your pluggables today? My pluggables. Okay. So uh, we've, we've talked extensively about the center stage series, which again, the the fourth book will be out, uh, in a couple of, a couple of three months. And, um, one of the things that I'm working on currently, which I'm really, really, really excited about, is um, there was there was a, a, an anthology call, and I started writing it for the, for the anthology, but I'm actually going to publish it on my own. And who knows when it's going to come out? It'll come out pretty shortly, um, but but it's not part of a series or anything like that. It's a novella, and um, the the idea that came to me as the the, the nut for the novella is. What if it was the movie The Wedding Date, you know, with Deborah Messing and um, uh, Dermot Mulroney, where she's the sister of the bride and she has to hire an escort because her ex is going to be at her sister's wedding. What if it was that? But what if it was the mother of the bride? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who's wretched horrible ex-husband is going to be at their daughter's wedding and she has not laid eyes on him in years and she hates him and he's been progressively marrying younger and younger and younger women he's now on wife number six and exactly and it's and so i have in my head by the way that this this former couple uh is basically hannah waddingham and anthony stewart head from ted lasso that kind of dynamic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, it has been so much fun to write. Uh, critique partner sent it back. It was like, this is a goddamn delight. It's it's so much fun. Uh, and so I can't wait till people see it. And it's called The Wedding Bait. <laughs> oh, oh, bravo. Beautiful. So, yeah. I can't wait. I, I can't wait for people to read it because I think it's just going to be a heck of a lot of fun. 
Ah, uh, okay. So, um, where can they find that eventually when it comes out, and also your other books? So, my 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 all of my books that I have currently out are available on any uh, any retailer. They are available mm-hmm. in paperback as well. Um, and uh, the 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 wedding bait is I is going to be my foray into Ku just to give that a try. So it's only going to be okay. available from Amazon for some period of time. Um, and also, um, fast acting is going to be the same for, for a little bit, just because, um, I just don't have the spoons to deal with Ingram Spark for, (laughs) for, give myself a little bit of time before I have to go through that process because they are not the easiest vendor to work with. They are... The amount of options they give you, the flanges, the switches, the flips, the the buttons. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I wish you all the best with that. Thanks. But until then, <laughs> uh, Kindle Unlimited is a great option. Um, there are so many, so many good books on there. Um, and I will have all of the links to uh, your books down below. <laughs> so I will do my pluggables now. This is the last week before... KOT's big birthday month extravaganza. Um, We are one year old, incredibly. No one thought we could do it, but we did it. (laughs) Everyone was like, Abigail, how the hell are you going to get a different guest for every week? How are you going to do a weekly podcast? Abigail, you don't even know how to edit audio or do music or what is podcast hosting? And I showed them all. So you know what? Uh, We're celebrating it mostly. Honestly, it's mostly a celebration for me where I'm just doing all the episodes that I wanted to do. Perfect. (laughs) And had no excuse for it. Couldn't legitimately do it. So um, we also, I'm finally going to announce the special surprise that comes along with birthday month. And that is starting in, I think it's like two or three days. I'm blanking on what day this is coming out. It's the end of the week, October 1st. What is now going to be available on October 1st through October 31st is our one-year anniversary special merch. Excellent. The merch is absolutely ridiculous. It's Vapowave meets like neon meets sort of retro nonsense. And it it says thirsty first. And you can only get it for a month. So you can get it on whatever you want. Hoodies, t-shirt mug sticker yada yada you yada, know yada. you know the deal yes um and it's from midnight october 1st all the way to midnight october 31st you can get that merch it's awesome i i'm so super stoked about it it's very cool um <laughs> my hoodie's on its way currently uh and uh we you should tune in for the fan request episode that's going to be next week that's the fan request slash q a slash i guess the how the the story of the day you were born episode (laughs) um, for the podcast. Um, And then we have so many amazing episodes coming out this month. It's going to be absolutely bananas. You still have time to submit your Twilight stories, though. Um, You will have time to do that until the end of the first week of October. So if you have any special memories, any weird experiences, any opinions on shipping or the Twilight Renaissance that you want to tell me and have me feature on the podcast, you can either send me a direct message with a voice clip or you can send me any sort of voice note or recorded anything pretty much as long as it's an mp3 or WAV file to my email at kingdomofthirst at gmail.com. Um, 
an example of something you could send me is I will go ahead and say, spoilers, one of the first <laughs> book events I ever went to was the midnight release of Breaking Dawn when I was 13. And I dressed up in a pinstripe suit jacket and a, and a tie over a I think it was just a tank top. I had a I had a black satin choker and I <laughs> I it was a whole thing and I was feeling it. I talked to no one. I got my books and then I left. Um so, you know what? If you have anything like that, if you hate Twilight even, if you think Twilight is fundamentally racist or uh promotes the Mormon agenda, let me know. I, I want to hear it all. So send those to me at kingdomofthirst.gmail.com or through direct message on either Twitter or Instagram. Um, Kingdom Thirst everywhere except for the places that I'm not. Abigail K. Kelly on Twitter. And and that's about it. Uh, thank you so much for being on, Adele. It's been a joy. You've been absolutely delightful. My uh, I cannot pleasure. wait to read your, the rest of your books. Well, thank you. Uh, I can't, cannot wait for wedding bait. That sounds like so much fun. I, I'm... I'm... I, it's yeah i'm just having a ton of fun with it and that's you know and writing characters my age more or less so hey hell yeah we need more of that mm -hmm. not everyone's 22 right most of us actually are not 22 <laughs> old 20 only 22 for a very brief period of time one might even say a year yes oh yes if you if you if you get to 22 at most you get a year there yep it's weird how that happens huh? yeah yeah time only moves in one direction Linear time we do not acknowledge, actually, on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will see uh, y'all next week, next Wednesday, birthday month, do it, merch, all the things, links below. Okay, this is the end of the episode. Goodbye! <laughs>